One of my goals with the Secret Podcast is to make the supernatural more natural and the paranormal more normal. These are events and occurrences that happen as a part of our natural and normal everyday lives. We've just been conditioned to ignore them and deny their existence. Well, it's time to undo that conditioning. I'm proud to announce that Ray Davis and I of Sixth Sense Media have created our own Sixth Sense Media clothing line. We can't always go up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about disclosure and UFOs and aliens on the earth? But you can wear one of our Disclosure Now t-shirts and get people's attention. Start the conversation or connect with another like-minded person who sees your shirt. If you're a truth seeker or someone looking to enact positive change in the world, why not wear it with pride? Connect with other like-minded truth seekers and become the change you want to be and see in this world. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store tab, and become the change you were born to inspire. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store. Welcome to Truth Seekers. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast with Sixth Sense Media. It's the show that challenges reality, questions that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. That's exactly what we have to do on this episode of The Seeker Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II. It's been about two weeks since I've been on the air. It's been a wild journey down the rabbit hole and just down life for me over the past uh, couple of weeks. I think my last on-air appearance, I was a guest on Cat Hobson's show on Fate Mag Radio. Uh, that was two weeks ago. We had a, a phenomenal discussion just about AI, our greater reality. Got into a little bit of my background. Um, it was a lot of fun uh, at the cost or at the expense of my voice. By the end of that show, um, I had I literally had nothing left. I had to strain to get my final minute out. It was it was rough. Um, as you can hear, my voice still sounds a little bit hoarse from it. But after that show, three days, it was three days without a voice. And, and I, I wondered if the Archons were uh, working against me or if I was, you know, I had that thought. Is it some kind of spiritual attack because of the, the type of information that I was sharing? Uh, I felt it coming on about an hour before the show. My voice started to go. And then once I got into it, I mean, it was it was a painful struggle. But we got through it. And the, uh, the links to the show, Ray has a link. Uh, he threw it up there at the SixthSenseMedia.net website. Um, I'll have that in the show notes in the newsletter. I'm late getting out there. Uh, it's just been a wild couple of weeks for me. It's Sunday evening, March 10th. The show usually comes out Saturday or Sunday. It's usually done by Thursday or Friday, but I'm just now sitting down. It's 10 o'clock p.m., uh, and I'm doing this because of some of the stuff that I've had going on. Um, but I want to direct you to SixthSenseMedia.net. Uh, please make sure you're, you're checking out, clicking that store tab and looking at the line of T-shirts that Ray and I have been designing and putting out there. You heard it in the commercial in the beginning. Got some great designs out there. They're, they're just a lot of fun, and it's a great way to start the, the conversation and connect with other truth seekers. Uh, and it supports the platform. It supports the show. It supports what Ray and I and our growing network are trying to build here. 
and, and really it's just, it's making these paranormal and uh, supernatural conversations more normal and more natural and empowering yourself ray the king of affirmations i'm working on getting him on here to talk about some of his uh, positivity uplifting things he's got a lot of great content on there now i'm looking at the site uh he, he a couple blog posts there he's got a life is good affirmation reaching the top of the mountain video affirmation weight loss within um, he's just got some great stuff, and, and Ray's been doing 365 days of affirmations. He's been throwing it up on the social media feeds and through his Affirmation Spot website as well. If you're looking to change your mindset, change change your life, make sure you're following Ray. You can find the links through SixthSenseMedia.net. He's putting that content out there. He's just an upbeat of, of positivity. Um, and, and you need that, especially if you listen to my show regularly. I try to keep it positive, but we're covering some heavy stuff. And with what I want to cover tonight, um, you can easily get a negative spin on the stuff I want to talk about tonight. But I think Ray helps us tap into our true power. Because there's some scary stuff going on in this world. There's some bad stuff going on in this world. Um, I, I don't have the answers, but I certainly have the questions. Um, and I think that... I think that Ray and I have some great tools that can help empower us through some of the dark times that we do face uh, in our everyday lives and in the upcoming future, really. Uh, so be mindful of that. Check it out. Uh, make sure you're following Ray and prescribing, subscribing, prescribing. I, mean, I, I could take a prescription of affirmations from Ray any day, uh, but check it out. So what's uh, what's been going on with me? If you think back, to the, I've done a couple shows, um, I, and the synchronicity, just it really makes me think, man. I connected with a, a remote viewer by the name of Edward Reardon, and he took uh, he took me and any of you out there who followed those two conversations I had with him on on a on a journey down the rabbit hole that connected a lot of dots to the AI pieces we've been putting together on this show and, and on our network as we're looking at this evolution of AI. And I was fascinated with the data that he was uh, pulling together, and Edward announced that he had joined. Uh, he, he was asked to join a team called Crypto Viewing, and it's comp comprised of um, of the some of the top remote viewers in the world. Um, Dick Algeyer, you know him. You see him. He was working with the Farsight closely. If you're watching the Farsight's content, Daz Smith again. He's affiliated with the Farsight and, and uh, many other venues. Um, Rock Arkey, he was uh, he was doing their Time Cross project, uh, and, and some other viewers out there as well. But these these guys are. Some of the best at what they do with with remote viewing. So Edward got pulled into their team, um, and I was honored that Edward would still speak with me. And uh, I was contacted by the team, I guess about two weeks ago, right after I lost my voice. Um, so it was fun trying to talk with them. But they offered me a position uh, as a media representative conducting debriefings with their viewers for their platform. And oh my gosh, I, I, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. I, I couldn't turn it down. So I've been working with the team. Um, it's a crypto viewing team. They're looking at uh, the future of cryptocurrency. Um, and, and that's a heavy topic, my friends. I'll, I'll cover a little bit of what I can cover uh, on this platform tonight. And, um, and they also pull in what we call woo-woo targets, which is a lot of the rabbit hole stuff that I like to cover and get into as well. Um, so I'll have the links to them. I, I Listen, I, I can't get into everything that the group pulls out on this platform for a variety of reasons, but I can direct you to 
their website. I can direct you to their Patreon page there. I should say our now as, a, as I'm a part of the team. Um, and I think it's an investment that's well worth your time um, and, and listening to and looking at, at, at what they're pulling out there. Um, and that's kind of what I want to get into with this episode of the show is um, the future and what I've struggled with over the past two weeks in seeing how things I've talked about for the last couple of years, how the world is changing, and how do we prepare for that and navigate that. Uh, and it comes down to something I've, I've been saying, but I don't know that I've been actually practicing it. Um, and it's, you can swim against the current of change, or you can learn to surf. And in my head, I've always been saying, I can surf, I am surfing, but I really don't think I have been. I think in my head, I'm fighting this revolution on, on a tidal wave that's coming. And uh, I, it's something that I think we need to consider. If there are things in motion, if, if world events are unfolding, I mean, how much of, you know, how much of, of events can we control? Now, collectively, I believe that if we could organize and consciously using the Maharishi effect and, and uh, you know, transcendental meditation, I, I think we can change things going on in the world. And I still am a firm believer in that. But at the same time, I think there's things that we can't impact. And when we find those things happening around us, we need to find a way to surf through that. And that's um, kind of what I want to talk about right now. I know I'm being vague at the moment. I have a couple news stories I want to get into before I get to some of that content. And I'm going to share another excerpt. I've shared parts of this part of my book, I Am Human and We're Not Who We Think We Are. Um, but I think it's relevant. And this is my intuition calling to me to share this piece uh, of my book again tonight. Um, but you can read the whole thing for free at sixcentsmedia.net slash I Am Human and sign up to get the free secret newsletter every week and the free ebook and you'll get a little bit more of a glimpse into to my head and my journey and this information that I feel is very important to share. Um, so where are we? What do I want to share with the news? I came across this, uh, I guess, about a week ago. And uh, it's titled, this comes from infodocket.com. The first library on a celestial body, 30 million page archive, is being sent to the moon. This was dated February 25th, 2019. That catches my attention as if you follow the show for, I'm sure, so many reasons. We were looking at some of the remote viewing data that Farsight put out there, um, that there was an ancient advanced civilization on the moon. We looked at Ingo Swan. This is probably a year and a half ago I was reading his book. Um, but Ingo Swan's data on civilizations on the moon. China sent a rover to the dark side of the moon. We've got the space war, uh, or, or I'm sorry, the the yeah, the war in space that we're you know have these threats that are coming online. But we've got technology, space, 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 space. Uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX, you know, we're, we're privatizing a lot of stuff going on in space. We are going back to space. It seems like we have a new space race going on. And now we get this, the first library on a celestial body. They're sending 30 million page archive. Uh, I'm going to read this article here. Um, the Lunar Library represents the first in a series of lunar archives from the ARC Mission Foundation designed to preserve the records of our civilization for up to billions of years. It is installed in the Space Ill uh, B 
Ferris sheet lunar lander scheduled to land on the moon in April of 2019. That's just a month away. The lunar library contains a 30 million page archive of human history and civilization covering all subjects, cultures, nations, languages, genres, and time periods. The library is housed within a 100 gram 100 gram nanotechnology device that resembles a 120 millimeter DVD. However, it's actually composed of 25 nickel discs, each only 40 microns thick, that were made from the Ark Mission Foundation by Nano Archival. So I looked up Nano Archival. Um, it's at archive.org. I'll have the links in the show notes, but the website says Humanity's Backup Plan, the Ark Mission Foundation, is a nonprofit organization that maintains a billion year backup. Of planet Earth. Now, I just, I, who's really behind this? And I haven't dug deeply into this yet. I encourage you to do that out there. Um, let's do some some more digging. But this just, to me, just screams to me of something bigger than ourselves, or something a little beyond ourselves. I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. This just feels like. When you're looking at those kind of timelines, who or what's behind that, I think, is the essential question that I'm asking out there right now. Who or what is behind that? And what what do they know about the future? Why the need to send it to the moon? Oh, just in case? Or do they have a little bit more foresight than we do? And again, I don't have any information on that at this point, but those are the big questions that I'd want answered uh, on something like that. It, it definitely... Um, it definitely has my attention, and I think it warrants our further investigation on that. So look for that, um, and, and I'd love to hear your feedback on it. All right, next. This one's interesting. The CIA releases 13 million pages of declassified documents online. This is from the BBC. About 13 million pages of declassified documents from the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency have been released online. The records include UFO sightings and psychic experiments from the Stargate program, which has long been of interest to conspiracy theorists. I hate when they when they label it conspiracy theorists. How about just people searching for truth, people trying to expose the cover-ups? Why they, you say conspiracy theorists, and I just, it just gives us the tinfoil hat, crazy Looney Tunes perception. Anyway, I wear that with a badge of honor. The full archive is made up of almost 800,000 files. They had previously only been accessible at the National Archives in Maryland. The trove includes the papers of Henry Kissinger, who served as Secretary of State under President Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, as well as several hundred thousand pages of intelligence analysis and science research and development. Among the more unusual records are documents from the Stargate Project, which dealt with psychic powers and extrasensory perception. Those include records of testing on celebrity psychic Uri Geller in 1973, uh, when he was already a well-established performer. Memos, memos detail how Mr. Geller was able to partly replicate pictures drawn in another room with varying but sometimes precise accuracy leading the researchers to write what he demonstrated his uh, demonstrated his paranormal perceptual ability in a convincing and unambiguous manner. 
Uh, there's more information on that. It goes in to talk about how they have some UFO stuff in there as well. It's a fascinating little article. Check it out. It'll be in the show notes. And researchers out there, start digging into that. Let's see what we can find. Uh, you know, Once I get some time, I definitely want to start pulling that information. But it's a great starting point. We are seeing a dump of information, a declassification. UFOs, we've, we've had a... I'd say a confirmation, I wouldn't even call it a disclosure, but I've been tracking that on the show uh, for a couple years now. Um, and with, uh, who was it? Um, why am I drawing a blank? Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar's video um, came out as well. Uh, why is this stuff coming out now? And Russell Targ... Um, you know, the history of remote viewing, you've got Hal Putoff and you've got Russell Tarr, who are two of the big names in that. They were working for Stanford Research Institute. Um, they started doing experiments, actual scientific experiments. These guys are actual physicists. Scientific experiments, I've covered this on the show before, um, and they proved or they developed the technique and procedure of remote viewing with a lot of help from Ingo Swan. Uh, Pat Price, some of the big names there. If, if There's a documentary that just came out called Third Eye Spies. You can rent it on Amazon. Well worth your time. It proves proof, 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 proof. This is real. Remote viewing is possible. And uh, am I getting sidetracked or is this a segue to another thing I wanted to talk about tonight? But it's a real, it's a real thing. Um, and, and that was my stance before I connected with the uh, with the crypto viewing team in the research I'm doing for food for the archons, you know. And, and my journey started. It's just I had these psychic experiences. Is it real? Is it possible? And it led me down to credible research. And this documentary, Third Eye Spies, uh, I'm not going to lie. I watched it last night, and by the end, I was almost crying because listening to Russell Targ speak about his objectives. They, they were doing this research, and it got pulled into uh, the spy world, and it was developed as a technique to spy on, quote-unquote, the enemy, uh, because that's what the enemy was doing against us. And Russell Targ, I, I think he's a beautiful man. He, he, What he learned in his research was that this is something that not just psychics can do. He said one of their best, uh, most accurate viewers was somebody who never had a psychic experience in their entire life. And what he found and what he made his life's mission is to teach that remote viewing is something we can all do. And I've been saying that on my show for a long time. I'm not presently a remote viewer, not a very good one anyway. Uh, it's something I'm working on and hoping to develop extensively as time goes on. Because I believe that it's of the utmost importance as we're looking at the epidemic of fake news. As the research I've been doing, looking at the onslaught of AI that's coming online, we may have an information overload coming to us in the very near future if we don't have it already. How do we weed through that? I think intuition and remote viewing is a way of doing that. And, and with what I'm seeing now with our crypto viewing team and how remote it, it's like the vision I had in my head I suddenly fell into it um, it's it's an essential tool I think moving forward into our future uh, and if you can get yourself some training and you can develop a team 
where you work together, you develop your skill, you develop your craft. You don't have to publicize it if you don't want to, but it's a way for you and your group and your organization to look at what's going on in the world and say, hey, is this true? What can we learn about it? And how can we navigate this chaos? I think that's an essential thing. And that's that's ex- one of the things that, that I'm seeing we're doing with this new team that I just joined. And forgive me if I, if I keep coming back to it, my friends. I'm overwhelmed with fascination, awe, and excitement. Uh, and if you've followed my show, I think you'll understand why. Because um, I, I've been hoping for something like this for, for quite some time. And I think it's important that this is something we can use as a real tool to navigate our future. Uh, so again, I got to say it. If you haven't checked out their content it's something that is well worth your time. I'll have the links for you to look at. I did, um, uh, here's a little teaser here. They, they do uh, predictions. The viewers do predictions for the upcoming month, and I did a review of those predictions uh, for the Patreon uh, subscribers, and I got to review the data that the viewers put there. And uh, more than one viewer said for March, Here's a little teaser here. We have some space news coming our way this month. Um, so I'll be curious to see exactly what it is. I have my own theories. I don't want to give too much away. But when you take a look at these sessions and you take a look at, at, at what I had an opportunity to review, uh, as I shared with the uh, you know with the crypto viewing followers, it, we're looking at a wild month, not just space stuff, but some other... Um, concerning world events. It, it, it's wild, my friends. So uh, I'll have the links. I encourage you to, to check it out. Um, so what else, can I, what else can I talk about? Crypto viewing. What is crypto viewing? What is cryptocurrency? I can still honestly say I don't have a clue what it is, but I'm trying to learn as much as I can as quickly as I can. Uh, you know, I've heard of things like Bitcoin before, but never really thought too much about it. Um, when I heard that there was a crypto viewing team with Ed Reardon was involved, and I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting, but um, I really don't know how that's important to me or to my future because I'm not interested in cryptocurrency. And I've been doing some, some digging. I've been talking with um, you know, my team members, and, and basically what I'm learning is that currency's changing. And at first I thought, okay, that sounds a little wild to me. But if you go back and, you know, Dick Algeyer did a, uh, on his YouTube page that's available, I'll have the links to it. He did a review of the Fireside Chats um, during the Great Depression, the 30s. And basically what happened was, as Dick was reviewing, just a little history lesson, the Great Depression hit Banks took a holiday. Nobody had access to their money, and everything changed. You know, and you go back to 1913. When was it? When the Federal Reserve took over, currency changed. And he he does a nice history of how currency has changed over time. Um, you know, the evolution from the bartering system to well, now we'll have fancy things that represent money, like little shells and and jewels to a gold and silver standard, to the paper note that represents gold and silver, to, uh, and again, I'm not an expert on this stuff, this is a brief overview of history, um, you know, to now we're on a credit system, and if you, if you look at where it's going, where credit 
and now things are digital and we can pay with a, a swipe of our card. Um, digital currency is a real thing. And what we're seeing now, as I've been doing some reading into Bitcoin um, or just cryptocurrency, and again, forgive me, forgive my ignorance, my friends, I'm just learning about this, but I think it just ties in. I was listening to a speaker, I'll have the links in the show notes so you can go, and I, I encourage you to listen to this. He talked about just how the world is changing electronically, digitally, and, and, and I've been talking about this for a while with AI coming on, um, coming online, how it, it looks like it's working to change everything. And I suspect that the change has already started. I mean, it, it has. If you're holding a cell phone right now listening to this broadcast, the change has already started. But it sounds like currency is moving from the dollar, the yen, whatever, to this electronic digital form of currency. And... I don't think it's something that we can change at this point. And that was hard for me to swallow. That was hard for me to admit. Um, again, I'm still learning about it, but from what I'm seeing, and when, when you look at these videos that I'll share in the notes, um, I, I, I don't think this is something we can stop. I, I think it's... So we then are faced with the challenge of do we fight this? Do we completely disconnect and not be a part of this? Because there's a lot of scary things that come with being connected to this system. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, what is our choice here? What is the alternative? If this is really coming down the way it sounds like it might be, if all money changes and we refuse to be a part of that system, then we don't have access to money. Are we going to live on a preserve somewhere in our own little um, our own little commune? Is that possible? And maybe it is. But we won't be able to interact and engage with society. So one of the thoughts I've been having is, well, I can fight the current or can I learn to surf? So right now I'm on a fact-finding mission trying to learn everything I can. Uh, and I would strongly encourage all of you to do the same. And I'm not saying you have to get on board. I'm just saying a little information never hurt anybody. Um, and and I, would, I would love, I welcome your comments because I'm, I still feel lost in all of this. And I would like... You know, we've been on this journey together so far. Uh, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this. But it's interesting. Um, what this speaker was talking about is kind of the history uh, and, and where Bitcoin comes from. And he gave what, to me, my conspiracy mind went wild in hearing this. Somebody by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto published a, I'm looking at it now, it's a nine-page paper. I'll have the links in the show notes. And this is where Bitcoin came from. Nobody knows who this person is or if it represents a group of people or an AI or an alien race. Who knows, right? Nobody At this point, nobody really knows what they are. Uh, so that kind of gets me curious. Like, all right, where did this really come from? But here's the abstract to the paper. Um, 
and it says, a purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashtagging them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work, forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof-of-work. The longest chain not only serves as proof of the sequence of events witnessed, but proof that it came from the largest pool of CPU power. As long as a majority of CPU power is controlled by nodes that are not cooperating to attack the network, they'll generate the longest chain and outpace attackers. The network itself requires minimal structure. Messages are broadcast on a best effort basis, and nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the longest proof-of-work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. All right, what the heck does that all mean? Again, in my limited understanding of this, this is looking to cut out, I guess, the middleman. Like, you know now, sometimes you want to go make a payment somewhere and your your credit card company or the internet provider or whoever is processing the payment, they take a cut. Or your bank charges you a fee to hold your money or to process your money. They're taking a cut. And the more money you spend, the more of a cut that they're taking. This sounds like it's looking to cut them out and it's just a direct peer-to-peer person-to-person exchange of funds with this new currency so that's good right cutting out the banks because the banks are scary and the banks are taking advantage of us well it sounds like the banks are developing their own uh coin or whatever as well again i i think from some of the reading i've been doing um but anyway and it has what's called a blockchain and I'm going to say it again, I'm an amateur here, but it sounds like this blockchain is just a bunch of computers that are serving as nodes and they're recording the transactions uh, in, in a ledger. And it creates a chain of every transaction with that currency that has ever happened. So it makes fraud very difficult. You know, So if I, if I have my currency and I want to spend my money here, and then like half a second later or at the same time on a separate computer, spend that same money somewhere else, you're going to have multiple computers tracking that signature of that currency saying, well, nope, the majority of computers agree that this currency was used to purchase this item first. And then after that, whatever transaction comes next, creates the chain. Does that make sense? I don't think I made sense right there. So I can't use the same currency twice and somebody can't come in and create counterfeit currency because they have a history of everybody that's ever used and spent that currency in a long, 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 long chain. So if I want to come in and make counterfeit, that means I have to change from point from my point of origin and everything that came after that because as soon as I spend that money, Somebody else is spending it. Somebody else is spending it. Somebody else all over the world is spending money. And that chain now gets hundreds and thousands of, of uh, blocks long. So now if I, as a hacker, want to step in and hack something, not only do I have to hack the point that I'm trying to hack, I have to modify everything after it because every block contains every transaction, is that, if that makes sense. It's uh, pretty muddy to me at best right now, but that's how I'm seeing it. 
Uh, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's different. And that's where it looks like things are going. Um, what do we do with that? Well, what if it goes there and we don't know anything about it and we have, uh, you know, our money changes? Are we ready for that? I think it's something, it's a necessary evil at this point is, is what I'm learning. Um, and, and, and again, I'm, I know I'm giving a lot of plugs here, um, but it's because I'm overwhelmed. And the, the stuff that you can learn, um, you know, even a good starting point is, is the, the updates that Dick Algar has been doing on YouTube. Go listen to what he's been saying and, and start doing your own research. Uh, I, I think it's well worth your time to look at that. Um, and just see, just see where this is going, and, and make your own decisions, really. But it's it's. Uh, I'll have the links to this whole uh, Bitcoin white paper, and, and you know you can see kind of it explains this a lot better than I did. There's some graphics in there, um, and, and it's it's pretty easy to read. Um, but it's it's interesting. It's it's really interesting of the goals of this because on face value it sounds it sounds great. Um, you know, cutting out the banks, empowering you to have your own wealth. And, and uh, you know, what's interesting, though, about this, I was listening to this speaker, and he was saying that with something like cryptocurrency, not just people can hold wealth. Machines can hold wealth. And I can't explain it very well, um, but machines and software and AI can hold wealth and they can exchange wealth if AIs are talking or machines are talking to one another for whatever reason um, because we're looking at a lot of things becoming automated. I mean, the future is really, uh, this tech's going to be a big part of us. Now, Elon Musk is a, is a huge proponent of if you can't beat it, join it. Uh, I, I'm not still not jacking my mind into a cloud. Um, but I, I, think that, I think that it's important to be aware of what what this is because then we can make better decisions on how to navigate it and again hopefully surf so um, I'm going to leave it at that my friends because I don't know what else to say because I don't know enough yet it's it's uh, it, it's an overwhelming task to try to learn but it's something I'm I'm very excited about so I welcome your comments uh, please share, send me an email, let me know what you think about it, and uh, and let's go from there. Let's take this journey, my friends. Um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I'm glad to be back on the air. Uh, I'm excited to be uh, connecting with all of you again. My voice is still holding strong, although it may sound a little hoarse right now, so I'm good to go. Uh, I'm working on getting some great guests on the air in the upcoming month. Bear with me. It's been a little crazy, so... If I'm not getting the show out on time, my apologies. Um, ah, I know I promised you guys something. And I want to share this. Uh, I feel in my gut that it's relevant. Uh, I'm not exactly sure I'm going to make the connection yet. But it's an excerpt, an excerpt from my book, I Am Human, and We're Not Who We Think We Are. And I know I've shared this probably a year and a half, two years ago, but I just feel that it's relevant to share again. And this is I was going through my understanding of reality. Who are we? What's our connection? Who's in charge? Uh, and I was looking at nature. What can I learn from nature to teach me about myself and my reality? 
So uh, without further ado, let me just read it here. It says, Having gained a little more clarity in my search, I set my sights on better grasping the concept of God in hopes of finding a spiritual path to direct my life. Believing that God was a supreme deity responsible for the creation of all life, I felt compelled to look at all life to see if I could further comprehend my own path and the human condition. During this journey, I had come to an understanding that all life was sacred and all life warranted respect. I developed an opposition to killing things and took great pride in capturing and releasing the occasional spider that would find its way into the dark corners of my home. This ideology felt wonderful. I experienced a closer connection to nature and all of life around me until one day I found a small wasp's nest on my property. My initial instinct was to kill the wasps with toxic chemicals and protect myself and my two dogs from their painful stings. But killing would, ca- would counteract my newfound philosophy of respecting all living things. In examining this situation, I tried to understand why I wanted to kill these creatures. The answer was quite clear. They were dangerous. They built a nest on my property, and if provoked, even by accident, they would react violently against me, causing terrible pain throughout my body with their stinging rage. It seemed like a valiant argument, but then I wondered... What if I was living in the garden of something more powerful? Would it be fair for this keeper of the garden to terminate my existence simply because of my people's tendency toward violence and destruction? The mere thought of this powerful being trying to kill me ignites a violent defensive instinct in me. I am the wasp, and I am the keeper of the garden. I was so bothered by this concept that I spent several days trying to find the right course of action for these wasps. In the process, I began to understand more of what was written in my essay that chaotic night in 2009. I read articles and watched videos, and what I learned was that nature could be extremely cruel. Wasps, like every other creature, required life to sustain life. Sometimes species of wasp even invaded other colonies of insects to kill them and steal their hordes. This wasn't the beautiful, loving balance of nature I had come to embrace. It was a cruel, violent world that required death in order to sustain life. And I was no different. As above, so below. I am the wasp, and I am the keeper of the garden. In the end, I made the choice to kill the wasps because of their potential for violence. I felt terrible for doing it, but I was too afraid to risk an experiment of cohabitation considering the painful consequences of misjudgment. Through this process of understanding, I wondered, why did God design our existence to require the death and sometimes suffering of all forms of life in order to survive? If God was so loving, why was this very basis of life dependent on death? And why did religion seem to reinforce the importance of such suffering? I am the wasp. This chapter still hits me hard when I read it and I think about uh, our reality. I don't know what or who is in control. I, I don't know what the if there's a divine plan. Um, I wonder if there is a divine plan, why we have to eat each other in this existence. Um, but if we are in somebody else's garden, I killed the wasps ultimately out of fear. I was afraid of them. Is anything afraid of us? I mean, look what we do. Look how we treat life on this planet. I think we need to find a way to better live in balance. And we find need to find a way to build harmony with whatever may come our way in the future. We're always thinking, I need to fight this. But violence begets violence. Evil begets evil, if you believe in such a thing. As Nietzsche says, my favorite quote, 
when fighting monsters, be careful that you yourself do not become a monster. For he who gazes long enough into the, or when you gaze long enough into the abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. I feel that this chapter was important to share tonight. I hope it resonates with some of you out there. I think we need to be mindful that we may be, we have that responsibility of being the wasp, but in some aspects we're also the keepers of the garden. We are the gardeners, we are the farmers. Let's not be hypocritical. We don't want, we don't want whoever tends our garden to see us as that pest and wipe us out. Then don't we have the responsibility then to be caring of the creatures entrusted to our own care. All right, friends, I'm going to leave you with that. I need to get this show edited and released. It's already 1045 Sunday evening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Looking forward to the next episode of The Secret Podcast. Make sure you check out Ray Davis, The Affirmation Spot, SixthSenseMedia.net, Ray's book, Anunnaki Awakening, my free ebook, I Am Human and We Are Not Who We Think We Are, SixthSenseMedia.net slash I Am Human. And please support the show. Pick up one of our t-shirts. It's a great way to start the conversation. It's a great way to raise that vibration, change the energy to something positive. Let's do it, my friends. Let's be the change. I'm Dennis Nabby II. This has been another episode of The Secret Podcast where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you. Oh, my God.